This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Are we learning the right lessons from last weekend's devastating storms? We'll talk about what we should be doing to prepare for the next one. And she's the mother of the world's richest man and newly minted as the oldest cover model on Sports Illustrated's iconic swimsuit issue. We track trailblazer Mae Musk's latest accomplishment. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. President Vladimir Putin has ordered a 10% hike in pensions and the minimum wage to cushion Russians from inflation. But he denied that the country's economic problems were linked to the war in Ukraine. With annual inflation near 18%, the Kremlin leader acknowledged this would be a difficult year for the Russian economy, but he's claiming that North American and European economies are even worse. The pension increase comes into a effect June 1st, while the minimum wage hike kicks in a month later. Analysts say these measures will not prevent a sharp fall in real incomes. A Tokyo court has begun hearings in a lawsuit seeking nearly $5 million for six people who were children in Fukushima, Japan, at the time of its 2011 nuclear power plant disaster, and later developed thyroid cancer. The plaintiffs are suing the operator of the plant, saying radiation released in the accident caused their illnesses. It's the first group lawsuit filed by Fukushima residents over health problems allegedly linked to the disaster. British Columbia has launched the first province-wide lung cancer screening program for residents at high risk. It'll be available at 36 centres using CT scans. Current or previous smokers between the ages of 55 and 74 are eligible if they have a smoking history of 20 years or more. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in Canada and around the world, and 70% of all cases are diagnosed at an advanced stage. The screening program aims to change that by finding cancers earlier. Ontario has a program underway, but it's not yet established throughout the province. A new exhibition on cancer puts hope for the future on display. A history of the disease's treatment from gory past techniques to promising advances is now on at London's Science Museum. There's everything from a cancerous dinosaur bone to a 3D printing of a tumor to a decorated wig stand. Despite the many lives impacted by cancer, major exhibitions on cancer have been few and far between. The museum's curator says she tried to include objects to make visitors feel comfortable discussing their fears and hopes about the disease. 
The royal family has announced the release of a special corgi emoji to help social media users celebrate the Queen's historic platinum jubilee. Called PJ, the emoji will appear for anyone who tweets hashtags relating to the event, including hashtag Platinum Jubilee and hashtag Platinum Party at the Palace. The Queen has owned more than 30 corgis during her reign, most of which have been descendants of her first corgi, Susan, who was given to her on her 18th birthday in 1944. She currently has three dogs, an elderly, and two corgi puppies. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Experts say we should expect more extreme weather events like last weekend's devastating storms, which killed 11 people. But are we doing the right things to limit the damage? I reached Blair Feltmate, head of the University of Waterloo's Intact Center on Climate Adaptation. I wouldn't say it's、uh, unprecedented, and I would say we're going to get more storms like that going forward. And at, at the root of it, what, what's driving this? Stuff is, is climate change. We're getting more extreme weather, whether it's in the form of wind or flooding or extreme heat or wildfires happening in, in northern regions. This is what we can expect going forward more storms like we saw on the weekend. And again, how serious would you say it is? Well, it's our lack of preparedness for these extreme events. So we saw、uh, with What wind damage can do to, to knocking out power lines and, and putting people in a position where hundreds of thousands don't have power for extended periods of time. So that's very problematic. We're experiencing floods now of、uh, increasing frequency and, and magnitude across the country. The peril that's m- more specifically as a result of flooding that's costly is, is flooding basements. So they are certainly on the rise. We saw in British Columbia、uh, last summer what extreme heat looks like when things go wrong. And we had 596 people die prematurely due to extreme heat. And increasingly so, we've got wildfires in, in whether it's in British Columbia or northern Ontario or other, other, <coughs> excuse me, other regions of the country. You're saying that we are unprepared. So, what should we do to prepare? Yeah, so the good news is under each one of these headings of extreme weather,、um, we do know quite a bit of what to do, and I'll just maybe touch on two or three points. Under wind, for example, we should have very active programs in large cities to small towns to trim back trees that are in close proximity to, to hydro wires, to hydro lines, or close to houses. We should be cutting back those branches that, if During extreme wind events, they can come down and, and fall on、um, hydro systems and, and wires and take out the electricity system.、Uh, and by the way, it's not just for wind. We also have,、uh, we want to do this because、uh, in, the, in the winter, we can get ice storms that, that、uh, the ice can coat the large branches of trees. And if they're hanging over wires, they break off, come down and knock out the system in the middle of winter, the electricity system. What can individual homeowners do? For homes、uh, to minimize flood risk and particularly basement flooding, people can do things as simple as, for example, if they have a sub pump in their basement,、uh, uh, it's in a well or it looks like a bucket in the basement where water collects if water happened to get into the basement, there's a pump in that well. Make sure that that pump, that you check that that pump works ahead of the storm. 
uh, pour a bucket of water in there and see how does the water pump outside. Most people find out their sub pump doesn't work when they have three and a half feet of sewer water in the basement. Wow. Um, they can have battery backup supply for their sub pump to make sure that when the big storms hit, the sub pump is going to work because very often when the big storms hit, the electricity goes out. Uh, that's when the water is coming down in large volumes. So the time you need the sub pump, it's not available. Even for extreme heat within cities, we should be working actively to per, uh, ensure that we have more greenery within cities, more more uh, leafage from, from trees to create a cooling effect, or even uh, uh, work to paint the roofs of buildings white versus generally speaking the dark surface of tar, uh, paint surfaces white. There are lots and lots of very simple fixes along the lines of how we address wind, flood, extreme heat, and wildfire that, that should be put in place now in anticipation of the bigger storms that are coming for sure. Who should have a generator? Well, if you're in the country, for sure I would have a generator. And um, if, you're, if you're in a community that on a fairly regular basis you're seeing the power go out, um, I would give serious consideration to having a standby generator or certainly uh, uh, a backup battery supply to run a, a sub pumps in your basement for up to two days. What about people who live in condos and apartment buildings? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and particular apartment buildings are particularly uh, challenging and, and, and older ones more specifically in that uh, very often they don't have central air conditioning. So um, during a major heat event, they're, 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 they're generally speaking warm to start. And if you get a heat wave combined with an electricity outage, you can have people stuck on, let's say, the 20th floor of an apartment building. If there's no backup electricity supply and the electricity goes out, they can be up there with no air conditioning, no fan. Uh, the elevators may or may not work beyond a couple of hours to allow people to leave. But generally speaking, they, the, the supply to run electricity, uh, uh, to run elevators back up only lasts a couple of hours. And when the electricity goes out uh, for a building, water won't go under city pressure above the sixth or seventh floor. So you could have someone up, on, someone up on the 20th floor also without water supply. So what should so, they do? So, so, they, so we need to make sure that these uh, apartment buildings have uh, backup electricity generation and 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 fuel on site to run those generators for at least three days. And how many, uh, do you have any idea how many uh, buildings are prepared in that way? We have, well, we have about 500,000 people in the greater Toronto area living in apartment buildings that are greater than 30 years of age that are over eight stories high and about one third of which don't have backup electricity supply for more than a couple of hours. And to make this happen, do we need some kind of legislation or something? Well, we need the political willpower for people to say that this is an omission uh, that puts people in harm's way. And I would say it's a combination of input from federal, provincial and municipal governments to to do an analysis of the vulnerability of, of preparedness relative to not just extreme heat, but wind, flood, extreme heat, and wildfire in forested regions, we need a systematic review done to identify the areas of our key vulnerabilities to these perils when they occur to extreme degrees, and then put in place the measures to to mitigate the risk relative to those perils. And right now, that by and large has not been done for the country. What we have is management by disaster. 
Uh, we wait for a disaster to occur, and then everybody mobilizes to try and fix the problem. But where we should be, we shouldn't be always chasing climate change. We should get ahead of the curve and anticipate these events and then put in place the adaptation measures. Blair Feltmate, thank you so much. You're very welcome. That was Blair Feltmate of the University of Waterloo. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, posing in a swimsuit at the age of 74, we'll talk about May Musk's Sports Illustrated cover. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. May Musk's billionaire son, Elon, has been all over the news lately, but now she is making headlines of her own. The 74-year-old Saskatchewan-born model, author, and dietitian has become the oldest person to appear on the cover of the annual Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. She appears wearing a one-piece beige and orange bathing suit accentuated with ruffles. What does it mean for Zoomers? I asked Zoomer magazine editor-in-chief and publisher Suzanne Boyd. May Musk, at the age of 74, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. What do you make of it? Well, a long time coming. You know, to have a 70-something on the cover is a pretty strong statement. The picture is uh, she looks gorgeous, and uh, she said that she's here to show that women in their 70s are gorgeous. Well, and that's really been one of the reasons we've been a big fan of Mae Musk for a very long time. And, you know, she appeared on the cover of Zoomer a couple of years ago. And, you know, her, you know, she, she was a nutritionist dietitian before um, she started modeling. Or, well, she was a model. Then she was a nutritious dietitian. And she practiced, you know, that sort of health, you know, around food while she was modeling in Toronto when she was much younger. But when, as she got older, she sort of seemed a lot more empowered. And she used to, when she, we, she, we first started noticing her Instagram account, she always had the hashtag, like, it's great to be 70. It's great to be 71. And, you know, she goes to events all over the world with her friends and with, obviously, her famous son, well, famously controversial son, <laughs> the richest man in the world, Elon. And But she's just out and about. She's energized. She's engaged. She's doing things. And she really, she's always celebrated her age. So... Of all the greats, and there's a lot of great 70-something women out there being really active in the culture right now, but I think of any of them, her being on the cover, she she was the right person to choose for this particular cover, just because of everything she represents. What does it mean in general for women in their 70s? Well, I think what it means is that there is no limits, and it's just a wide, a wider open feel of perception of yourself as an engaged um, being. And, you know, I think you're seeing it now with like Helen Mirren is another person. Like she was on the cover of people's, well, she, she was, was on, on your on the cover. cover of Zoomer, but she was, and you know, and she's been on, this would have been her third time because again, she represents that sort of new movement. It's like a longevity revolution. We're calling it where, before, we're talking about women in their 50s, women in their 60s, and then still expecting 70s to be kind of, well, you're older, you're slowing down, and, you know, and that's really the opposite for um, certain women. I think Jane Fonda is one of those women, 
And I do think Helen Mirren, and in particular in this moment, um, being on the cover of People's Most Beautiful Issue, and when I saw that, I'm like, is this just like, you know, you know, again, it's like the Sports Illustrated thing. Is this just like a, you know, like a stunt? Or how seriously are they taking, you, you know, are they taking this demographic and where this demographic is showing they can go to? On the other hand, I wonder... Okay, so May Musk and Helen Mirren are stunning women, and most of us don't look like that at any age, let alone in their 70s. So is there a chance that this might just put more pressure on people to conform to some beauty ideal when they're at a stage in life where they might be letting go of that? I think that's also a triumph of grooming and you know, and, and, and self-care. So, you know, with May always eating really well, I think with Helen Mirren, she, her attitude is like, I mean, her attitude is just let it all hang out and enjoy your life and just live life to the fullest. So I think it's, I know it's such a cliche, but I really think with her, it's attitude and all. And then I think the message is like, either you, you want to engage in certain things like, and they don't engage in hair, hair color but they like to engage in lipstick and a nice dress. And, you know, and that doesn't take a lot um, of, of, you know, now there's a different levels of price points, but it's just a matter of being interested in it. So I think what we try to say is like, you know, it's empowered, you know, what we try to do is have perspectives on empowered aging. And that is actually making a choice for yourself. So just because someone wants to look their very best, at whatever level they can doesn't mean that you have to feel pressure if you'd rather go in another direction. She said something that I really liked. She pointed out that if you go to the beach, where a lot of women are very self-conscious, you see men letting it all hang out no matter how bad their bodies look. And she's saying because they couldn't care less, well, that women should care less. This is it. And Helen Mirren, remember when she first sort of, I remember it was in our first issue of Zoomer magazine, uh, you know, 40, almost 15 years ago now, that was that picture of her in the red swimsuit, in the red bikini. And, you know, and, she, and it, it sort of went around the world, you know, viral before viral was a thing or when viral was just becoming a thing with social media. And, you know, and at that point, 15 years ago, so she would have been late you know, 60s or something. And then she said, well, you know, it was a really great angle. I was bending down. I don't always look like that. In the so there is that idea of, you know, this is what it is. And um, let's just go with that and, and enjoy it. Suzanne Boyd, thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Thanks for having me. That was Zoomer Magazine Editor-in-Chief and Publisher Suzanne Boyd talking about May Musk. us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.